The secret behind this book, however, is that it's not about early retirement. It's about financial freedom. And once you achieve it, what you do with that freedom is up to you. Welcome to Learn With Us, brought to you by 303 and You. We are a team of four non-financial advisors who are exploring a revolutionary new financial approach that goes beyond money to prioritize your emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being. Through weekly meetings and engaging podcasts, we strive to help you improve all aspects of your well-being as well as ours. Come join us on this journey of growth and self-improvement because at 303 and You, we believe true wealth extends beyond dollars and cents. Happy learning. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Learn With Us, brought to you by 303 and You. We're going over Retire Before Mom and Dad, brought to you by Rob Berger. We're doing part five, Practical Considerations. How's everyone doing? I'm pretty I'm good. good. Dude, that, was, that intro was perfect. Thank you. I was really afraid to mess up a couple of those parts. <laughs> Nicely done. Yeah, you have a very serene voice, dude. So we're finally at the end of the book. <laughs> Why finally, I guess. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I, I was really tripping. I got really stuck on that. <laughs> I was like, well, well I mean... no, it could like not be like a negative thing. You could just be like, oh, well, we finally have got to the end, guys, of our journey on this. Yeah. There we go again, yeah. overthinking everything Amanda says. Chapter 28, The Progress Principle. Wait, how's your 21-day challenge going? Oh, yeah. I mean, Start. we definitely should have picked something else because it's not even been a challenge. What'd you do? We did fast food. It's like, nice. we don't care about it. It's not even. Well, but it still counts. I mean, it shows you, it, it could just show you how much easier it is now than what it was when you first started. So it still counts. Oh, yeah. Compared to the first time when we did it, we were like, this is a was a challenge are you fully doing not eating out or just uh fast food oh i mean we'd eat out for a special occasion or something like amanda got a new job so i ate there to try it out and hang out with her for an hour but, but you kinda, we mostly but, try oh, not I was to say, still not eating fast food though that's good because it means you're also eating healthier a little healthier also yeah it's still not like fast food it's no definitely not fast we might food. have we might go to a restaurant for some reason or another like I happen to be going out to breakfast tomorrow with my brother because he called and asked me to take me out for my birthday. So, ah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna not go to breakfast. Well, you're also not paying for that one, so. Well, that's true. Yeah, economically. Fair can. <laughs> that is true. Well, I mean, he didn't say that, but. <laughs> that's implied for your birthday. He, I hope he so. better. You're right. <laughs> so back to chapter twenty-eight. We get lost. <laughs> oh wait, how was your birthday? Was it good? Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, twenty-eight. <laughs> The progress principle. This one was mostly easiest to sum up with the three keys. Number one, small wins enable us to focus on goals that are achievable in a reasonable amount of time. That one's pretty self-explanatory, is it not? You had a weird look on your face as you're reading it. I think it's worth exploring, no. though, because a lot of times I find myself, especially when I'm writing, for example, I'll try to start with the finished with the final draft. And I forget that I should start with the basics. In this case, just write to myself so that I can edit it and then re-edit and then re-edit and then re-edit and then re-edit re because it's one small step at a time. No, that's with any, not even just editing, just any goal is that I feel like people are like, oh, I need to be able to run two miles instantly. But if it's your first time, be excited that you made it 200 feet. Like. It's a little, you started. 
I, I think you should just look at it like a stairway to success and you have to take steps to go up the stairs. You can't just, unless you have like a 400 foot, you know, reach for your steps. You're not going to be, you can't just skip all those. You have to go one by one. But then celebrate every time you get up one step. Well, for sure. That would be your small win. <laughs> Number two, called the progress principle, seeing regular improvements, however small, builds our confidence and encourages us to keep moving toward bigger goals. What is the progress principle? Did we ever did we ever talk about how talking about your goals sabotages your brain into believing that you achieve them? I feel like we have, but we could do it again for sure. Because that's something I deeply believe in: is that what you say affects what your body does. So if you say like "I won't remember your name," you'll automatically not remember someone's name because you've told your brain just forget that information. So if you're like, oh, I'm going to remember that person's name, then but your brain's going to download uh, it and keep dude, it. Okay, so there's a, there's two points that I, okay, direct response to what you said. The brain doesn't think in negatives. So when you say, I'm not going to remember this person's name, you're thinking, I'm going to remember this person's name. You think it makes you automatically remember it? Yeah. I feel like it tells yourself to not want to do that. Like, if you say, I'm not... Like, I'm going to go exercise, and you say, yeah, I'm probably not going to wake up tomorrow. Your body's not going to even try to want to get up or anything because you've already told it not to. Well, the 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 exercise that people use is if I ask you not to think of an elephant, then you, you <laughs> cannot not think of an elephant. Well, that's a little <laughs> – I feel like that's extremely different because the, you're not – thinking of the elephant is not negative. This, I'm saying if you tell yourself something negative, your brain's going to think of it as that's what it's supposed to do. Like you tell it to forget something, it's not going to try to remember. I think it'd be better if we had the video that you're referring to. Oh, yeah, but forgetting is it's, it's a positive affirmation. I am forgetting. You're not saying I am not forgetting. See, it's, a, it's a semantical difference, but to the brain, it's the same. <laughs> I am forgetting. I am not forgetting. It's the same thing. But either it's way, you have to remember it. Well, that's not my theory. That's that's what I heard. It kind of makes sense, though. No, I get what you're saying. I'm glad somebody does. <laughs> I am. Uh, yeah, no, I'm just you're kidding. You're no? I'm, I'm just teasing you. I went and found a good quote to uh, explain the progress principle. What is it? It says, Of all the things that can boost emotions, motivation, and perceptions during a workday, the single most important is making progress in meaningful work. And the more frequently people experience the sense of progress, the more likely they are to be creatively productive in the long run. Whether they are trying to solve a major scientific mystery or simply produce a high quality product or service, everyday progress, even a small win, can make all the difference in how they feel and perform. So that's what I was trying to say-ish, was that you've already told your brain not to, then it affects your progress, I guess, would be the best way to... It slows you down. Your brain's already not willing to try. So negative thinking has a negative impact on your success. That's my belief. <clears throat> Could have just said that. <laughs> Think outside the box when it comes to small wins, such as saving one half of your next raise or increasing your 401k contributions automatically. Do you guys have any ideas for some small win goals? I feel like even getting to the first level, that's, that was a great small win that we got. Yeah, the, the seven <laughs> levels that he describes at the beginning. Yeah, when we finally reached the first one, it was so much weight. It felt like, like 
we could finally do this. They're like the other six are nothing, but you still have to worry about, you know, the big goal. Oh, he had that a uh, good quote I liked. It was, he just wants to be a little better each month. That's his master goal. I was like, that's amazing because then you could never. There is no end to it. It's always you're always going to get better than the person you were a month ago, which I guess goes along with the small goal because then you only have to be better than you were last month at something. So you or, could al- if you could always try to beat yourself. Yeah, almost like you're in competition with yourself. And the race is never ending. I get you. Yeah, well, the uh, the book says that seeing regular improvements, uh, it builds your confidence and it encourages you to keep to keep going. So small wins equals more wins is what I wrote down. I felt like that was to go along with that because you're like, oh, that was easy. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. And before you know it, your debt's been almost defeated or any goal. Speaking of debt, though, that is the next chapter. That's why I was thinking about it. The quote at the beginning of the chapter titled Debt says, Every time you borrow money, you're robbing your future self by Nathan W. Morris. That was deep. That one hurt. It makes sense. Oh, it makes beyond sense. That's the worst part. You You don't think about it, though, until you start really trying to put your money aside because you're like, oh, I want this new outfit, so I'm just going to put $300 on my credit card. Well, that's borrowing money that now you're going to have to pay interest on. Yeah, it's you literally stole your financial freedom from yourself over one day's worth of want was worth your freedom, or at least a couple more years towards your freedom. So good debt versus bad debt. You may have heard the concept of good debt and bad debt. Generally speaking, good debt is borrowing for something that can improve your finances. A home mortgage, a school loan fit into this category. Bad debt is just about everything else. There are several problems with the idea of good and bad debt. First, good debt can be very, very bad if taken to extreme. We've all heard of the family that bought far more home than they could afford and then spent years barely getting by as they struggled to pay off the mortgage. And then there's the liberal arts major with 150000 in school loans working at Starbucks. I picked on liberal arts majors for two reasons. First, these degrees tend to qualify students for jobs that don't pay particularly well. Second, I majored in English. So rather than trying to ca- characterize debt as good or bad, let's look at the major types of debt in some detail. That's so amazing because literally you call it good debt because you're like, everyone has to have a house and how else are you ever supposed to get it? But it becomes your enemy because your house is literally so big, it's drowning you. Well, I, well, yeah, that's true. I, uh, you have to be smart. Like don't buy a property that's not going to make you money. But well, I feel like school loans, that's kind of like its own category because, well, that can be bad debt because you can put yourself in a major hole. But, I mean, sometimes you have to have a degree to, to do what you want to do. But the mortgage thing, not just any mortgage, in my opinion, is good debt. Because one, like you said, you could get a massive house that's going to drown you. But even if it's a regular house that you're affording, I mean, eh, I guess that's not necessarily bad. But it's not bringing money into your pocket. So I don't really agree with a, just a standard mortgage, like a standard home. No, that's what 
it like covers it up. It's considered good debt, but really it could be, I guess, great debt if you want to put it that way. You could have great debt where it lets you buy houses or everything else. Oh, the great debt would be because you're using it for like a house or you're buying an asset. You bought land that could be used for the wood on it or something. You didn't just buy mm -hmm. land to say, look at me, I own all this worthless land. Like, so instead of saying you got like good debt that you're like, oh, I have to have a house and you have to, you should make it into great to where it's going to be more than the home. Like you're going to start a logging company on it, you mean? Yes, that's what I meant by lots of wood. So if you if you take a if you spend your money on anything other than an asset, you're literally making your money disappear. Yeah. So to compound this problem, if you do that to borrowed money, then not only are you having to pay money that you made not only are you having to pay money, you're also having to come up with money that you disappeared. So it's a double, it's a double loss. You're also not adding yeah. time though, which is a huge one that he yeah. brings out to us that you can't get that one back. Like you can make up the money, but you can never make up the years that the debt took away from you. That's another point. Exactly. It's like any weapon, I guess it's how you use it. So on that note, there's a story that you wanted me to read. It says how debt affects your wealth. Let's return to the example from my own credit card statement. Okay, recall that I had a balance of $4,268.57. Or at that point, if I had made just the minimum payment, it would have taken me 17 years to pay it off, and it would have cost me $9,368 in interest. What is the true impact on our wealth with this credit card debt? First, had we invested the $4,268.57 instead of taking a vacation or buying clothes, jewelry, or electronics, <clears throat> it would have grown to $20,618.40 over the 17-year period, assuming a 9.3% return. Now let's look at those pesky interest payments. While we'd pay more interest in the earlier months when the balance was higher, let's just divide the interest payments equally over the 17 years. The result is $45.92 a month in interest. If we had invested that amount over 17 years, we would have added another $22,695 to our net worth. In total, the $4,268.57 credit card debt reduced our net worth by $43,313.45 at the end of 17 years. And the cost only goes up when we look further into the future. That was an expensive vacation. <laughs> That's really funny. It's amazing. The... It makes me want to throw up for the credit cards that we still have That's not what... paid off yet. Dude, that's why the rattery sucks. Did you say 17 years to pay off $4,000? Yeah, and while you do that, you also lose 42000 43000 42. 42. <laughs> that's crazy. So be careful with your credit cards and your minimum payments. Like you said, it's okay to have a credit card, but use it and then pay it off without having to accumulate that interest and rob yourself, basically. No, you literally almost have to use a credit card because it's going to double, or not double, but it could help get you further towards your financial freedom. Right, so make sure you use it right. <laughs> but it could also destroy everything. It's all about time. At the, I guess what I mostly learned from this today was that it's mostly about wasted time. So every 
Every debt we have is just time being taken from me. So three key concepts from that chapter was debt doesn't make achieving financial freedom impossible, but it does make it harder. There is a silver lining. Once your debt is paid off, your monthly expenses will go down while your savings rate goes up. And be careful to avoid too much good debt. Buying a home and getting an education are reasonable goals. Financing them with too much debt, however, can have lifelong consequences. Lifelong. <laughs> but for all those people who are in debt, there is hope for you. How to get out of debt. It's really four simple steps. One, stop going into more debt. Two, get rid of your debt. Three, refinance your debt. And four, pay down your debt. There's either the snowball or the avalanche, which we definitely need to hit upon both of them. Number one is stop getting into more debt, which is pretty easy, I hope. We either stop using your credit cards or whatever is causing you to be in such horrible debt. If it's your car, your house, your renting, what's two? Get rid of your debt. Examine what you can get rid of. We did this one ourselves. With We looked at what ones we felt we could just destroy right away, and that was the best part. It was like part of that easy goal or making small goals, because then once those are gone, you're like, oh, wow, we're already down two more. Let's do it. Step three is refinance your debt. You can do your mortgage with a home equity line of credit, car loans, credit card debt. It says you can consider transferring to a balance transfer with zero percent which would help stop the high interest charges while you pay it off yeah that <clears throat> that might be an interesting idea to transfer debt into credit cards with zero percent transfer or because right now insurance rates are freaking crazy so at three percent that's like a super premium right now because that's how much they charge for transferring right the three to five percent yep. i think yeah it's just a one time it definitely would save you tons for sure my one thing with that, though, is that I'd like to point out is I'll, that's it's really good advice. However, for some people who are in the situation where they have their credit cards, which are maxed or close to and charging monthly interest and they're only able to make minimum payments, more likely than not, it's going to be hard for them to acquire another credit card, especially one with a 0% balance transfer. Oh, that's true. So it's a good thought, but I don't know how realistic it, it it depends on your situation whether or not that would work for you. If you can get it, yeah. One thing that I would possibly recommend because I've done a balance transfer before is if you're able to get two credit cards that you can do balance transfers on and split the payment so then it won't show that you have a credit card maxed out. Because that oh, drops your credit score. No, that's awesome. I didn't even think of you that. You can split it 50-50 or something like that. Because, see, when I did that back in the day, I I didn't think about that. And I was like, huh, well, now it's showing that I have that <laughs> new card maxed out. When if I would have got two, I could have at least split it. Okay. Didn't he call it It's because it's your personal finances, so it only works for you? And I mean, that's literally the same deal as we're trying to say. <laughs> Everyone's story is different, so you can't like copy paste. Part four is pay down your debt. There's two good ways, which is the snowball. The snowball, you attack the smallest payments. That's what we did. Or the smallest balance. Or the smallest, yes, the smallest balance. So you can just 
get rid of them and not have to worry about them at all. And you just apply the that payment to the next one. But it comes with a downside is that the whole time that's happening, you're getting hurt with interest charges from the big guys. Right. Because the debt avalanche is focusing on the debt with the highest interest rate. By paying down the higher interest rate debt first, you get out of debt faster and cheaper than with the debt snowball approach. We had to mix it was my whole point, though, I was trying to get at, is that it didn't work for us to, because we knew we could get rid of those, why wouldn't we? And just made the most sense to us. And then work on the ones that are going to hurt us. It also says that you can use the debt snowball calculator to calculate the difference between these two approaches and find what works best for you. What's the website? Um, Tools.doroller.net slash debt snowball calculator. (laughs) I'm trying that right now. (laughs) Be right back, guys. So basically, debt has that's like an anchor around your neck while you're trying to swim. Makes achieving financial freedom hard. But at the end, that's the whole point of our goal is financial freedom. So anything that's in your way needs to be taken care of. The first and most important step to getting out of debt is to stop taking new debt. I mean, it sounds so simple, but it's the biggest problem we all have. Because you'll find yourself like, I don't know what else to do. I have to put it on a credit card. It's just, it's going to come up. And as important as paying off your debt is, you should never ignore other financial goals, which means always invest first. That's your biggest financial freedom is the first step, always. Then debt. Then living. You can eat rice. Yeah, like the... The camel trader of Babylon said that there were some there was a month where he and he when his wife and he only ate herbs. <laughs> like like boiled herbs. The best stuff they could get out of the garden. <laughs> if or wherever they found it. Did you read the quote at the beginning? As I say, I know I'm always reading reading the quotes, but I, I just really like all the quotes that they use. Because of uh kind of the same thing with what you just said. Uh, but he says that rather go to bed supper or rather go to bed supperless than rise in debt. Benjamin Franklin. No, that's perfect. <laughs> the second to last chapter is priorities. Avoiding new debt is vastly more important than how fast you pay off your existing debt. And that's Robert Berger himself. That's because of the skills that you learn from avoiding debt is more important. Uh, that's what I got out of it. I don't know about it. Everyone else. Well, you're not helping yourself if you're acquiring more debt while you're paying off your old debt. For sure. <clears throat> and this chapter, he says, uh, my goal is to convince you that in most cases, debt should not stop you from investing. I feel like the only case that should be is where you have no extra income, truly. Like after you've done your budget, you've done everything. There is no, your debt is the first thing that needs to go. So you have room to start investing. But then that needs to be your second goal is get rid of whatever debt and switch that right into investing. Oh, this I do want to say. I didn't think there was anything in this chapter, but there is. Why investing is more important than paying off your debt. And then it talks about the reason number one is the match, and it's about your 401k with your employer if they offer that. So even though paying off your debt is extremely important, okay, for his student loans, if he only paid the minimum student loan instead of paying extra and you took that 
$4,500 each year and put it towards your 401k, you would, it would take you 10 years to pay off your school loans, which is totally fine. Everything was good. But also, you would have grown $110,000 in your 401k. Compound interest. That's just going to show that not sitting there and focusing on the debt would cost him so much more. Right. Because That's my point. He would have got it paid off and it was like seven years, wasn't it, instead of 10? Right. But that three years would have never made him enough in compound to make the difference. So just do the math and make sure. So three key concepts. While paying off debt is an important financial priority, saving and investing should be your number one priority. I feel like we've said that 10 times tonight, but it is. <laughs> and giving up an employer match to your 401k is a costly mistake. Over $100,000, maybe. That's why we really need to find new jobs. I feel like we get, we're getting hurt there. And avoiding new debt is vastly more important than how fast you pay off your existing debt. In the book, he says, just cut up your credit cards. Don't cancel them. I thought it was funny that all my credit cards are in my uh, my wallet and my phone. So if they're all digital. I can't cut them up. Well, after not using them for a long time, they'll cancel themselves. I have mine in a, in a box. Whatever it takes so that you're not tempted ever to grab them. Use them if you absolutely need to. Don't use them just because you have them. Chapter 32 is just a chapter on excuses. It's called Yes, But. So which one of these are you who haven't started? Uh, I have little, I have too little to invest. I'm too young. I said that one. I'm too old. I don't have an emergency fund. I have a friend who's I feel like that. that's even more of a reason you should do it. First, I need to save for a home or a car or my child's education. The problem with that excuse, there's always the next one. It's first the home, then the car, then the next. And I don't know how. To me, all of them, except for the last one, to me, all the other ones sound like that's even more of a reason you should start, not more of a reason or not more of an excuse. I mean, the last one I get, because if you don't know how, well, you don't know what you need to do. But you could learn very easily. Oh, yeah, any, no, of course. Anyway, possible. But I'm saying, well, actually, no. I guess when you think about even that one, that's even another reason you should start also because so you can learn along the way. So you can figure out how. I think about it for those- my kids. That way, by the times they're old enough to start investing, I will have so much information to tell them what to do with it, how to deal with it. Like, that's yeah. the coolest part for me. I just think it's funny that all those excuses sound like more reasons that you should start. Can you imagine telling your kids that? Like, oh, why didn't you invest? Oh, well, I never knew how. That was all it was, was a little learning. Which one do you think it's worse? The one where they go, I don't know how, or the one where they go, the stock market is the stock market is gambling? Huh. I guess they both are. I get the gambling one because... At the end of the day, nothing about the stock market is guaranteed. Like, can't say that enough. But what? Going to college is gambling, though. Even at the end of the day, if your money gets, like, if you go down for five years, you could quadruple your money after. Like, even the worst downside is going to be great for you. Well, if you pick the right career, though, it has to be like a STEM, I think. The right stock. What about stocks? Oh, stocks. Sorry, I thought you were talking about career. Whoops, whoops. No, yeah. 
just stocks when they drop because it is possible like oh no the whole stock market's gonna crash and then so you gambled all that money away but really that's when Hevian told us to start doubling down like or maybe it was robert who tells you when it's going bad that's when you gotta double up because you know that it's gonna come back and you'll be the one who owns most of the worthless stocks that are not so worthless now they're both horrible excuses either way you should be started 10 years ago to level seven and beyond level seven and beyond i'm gonna read this quote it's a little bit long it's by theodore roosevelt but i really liked it it is not the critic who counts not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood who strives valiantly who errs who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming but who does actually strive to do the deeds who knows great enthusiasms the great devotions who spends himself in a worthy cause who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst if he fails at least he fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat why can't we pick presidents like that anymore <laughs> we need one that's absolutely that's i guess that's my answer to your question which one's worse like because i guess it's better to gamble my money in the stock market than to have it all set in a bank and it could be lost just as well banks close nothing's guaranteed i guess so why not have more money to lose than have nothing to lose to begin with i like how he was saying he started in his 40s that gave me a lot of hope i was worried that i was a little too late so i mean even this guy who i think it he ends up saying it takes him like five or seven years to finally get out of his debt but... i think it's 12. oh was it really wow i remember he did just tell us but <laughs> still it's amazing for sure uh my hope is that this book has caused you to question some of your own beliefs about money and happiness. Yes, you can retire early with what you've learned in this book. The secret behind this book, however, is that it's not about early retirement. It's about financial freedom. And once you achieve it, what you do with that freedom is up to you. I feel like that's a perfect place to end it. We'll have to come back to next week to give all the main points we've gotten out of this book and parts we've put to use in our lives. Hope to catch everybody there. All right, peace out. See you next time. See you later, alligator. Bye. Thank you for joining us this week. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion and found it both informative and entertaining. Please stay connected with us and continue the conversation on our social media. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. You can also catch us on most podcast platforms and catch up on previous episodes. If you have any suggestions or topics you'd like us to explore in the future, we'd love to hear from you and you can reach out to us via email at 303andU at gmail.com. Don't forget to leave us a review and share the podcast with your friends and family if you've enjoyed what you've heard. We will be back next week with more engaging topics and insightful conversations. Until then, take care, stay curious, and happy learning.